0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the March 11th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. Mesa County clerk and recorder Tina Peters, the gift that keeps on giving to Colorado Inside Out, was indicted on 10 different counts by a Mesa County grand jury this week. Charges include influencing a public servant, conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation and identity theft. The deputy county clerk has also been indicted for her assistance in Peters' plans. According to a statement released by Attorney General Phil Weiser and 21st Judicial District Attorney Dan Rubenstein, the investigation that led to the indictments is ongoing and more defendants may be facing charges. As always, we start with Patty Calhoun from Westward. Patty, even the Colorado Republican Party says that Peters should at least suspend her current campaign for Secretary of State, but it doesn't look like Peters is backing down. Uh, I didn't see this development coming, did you?
1: Well, this DA, who is a Republican, by the way, is serious. I mean, he clearly took the charges seriously. When this first broke with Jenna Griswold, people were kind of wondering, was it a stunt? But as the investigation went on, you could tell there was a lot more there. There could have been an 11th uh, indictment for bad choice of friends, Mike Lindell, you know, who rescued her when she fled the state before. And in fact, everyone is now speculating on who the mysterious Gerald Wood is, who went in, who she took in and her deputy took in against the rules to go see. The the voting machines, the voting process, in May 21, that's the big issue. Who is this person they brought in? They lied. It was unauthorized. No one knows who this was. But we do know that shortly thereafter, Mike Lindell was allegedly showing top secret things from Colorado, except no one could figure them out on his big uh, lie symposium. So she's incredible. Jenna Griswold is also a grandstander. We do have an interesting... <clears throat> second um, Republican candidate, Pam Anderson, who used to be the Jeffco uh, clerk. She's run the county clerks before. She by all accounts is a nice, level-headed, competent person, kind of like the Natalie Meyer School that Denver, Colorado used to be known for, competence, not grandstanding. <laughs>
0: Krista, Kaye from the Denver Post, joins us. It's great to have you back here, Krista. Um, it, it it seems to me that there's a big winner here. Uh, Patty already alluded to it, in and Pam Anderson. Mm-hmm. But is there are there other winners that maybe be able to see that? the different energy that was around Tina Peters, but she was getting a lot of followers, a lot of folks who were supporting her, frankly, giving her a lot of money for her campaigns and her defense fund. Uh, Does this put a a mark against folks who were going to campaign based on the 2020 election was uh, rigged? Uh, Does this this put a a hamper to those plans and at least a benefit to Republicans who want to run on everything else?
2: You know, you just said, for me, basically. Um, are there other winners? Yeah, 360 million Americans are the winners any time these conspiracy theorists are charged with their illegal activities, and I hope she gets convicted. I hope she drops out of her race. I hope that Eric Coomer is, is successful in his civil suit. Uh, that's the one of the former heads of Dominion for defamation. I hope, uh, I hope these people go away. Uh, they do terrible damage to uh, our faith in our election systems. They have been discredited because they have zero evidence to back up their claims, and every time they kind of get their loony, Picture out of the news, and you've seen the loony picture. Um, I sometimes think that, that smart, sane people can get pulled into conspiracy theories. This is not one of those smart, sane people. Um, she needs to uh, exit stage left.
0: Elena Alvarez, a reporter with Axios Stanford joins us. Great to have you here, Elena. Uh, it, it seems that there, would, you know, there, there was, it felt at least some momentum from other officials across the state that were beginning to push for one of these forensic audits that we'd seen in other states. It, does this throw some cold water on it when the main person who was pushing this is now uh, you know, facing 10 different counts?
3: I think it does, um, and I think the fact that you know the Republican Party has officially turned its back on her, calling her to, su- her, to suspend her campaign, is a really big signal that, as, sh- as you said, she should probably take an exit. Um, I don't really understand what the ultimate game plan is, what the ultimate goal is, other than her holding out, uh, downplaying these charges and hoping that, you know, far right voters stick with her. Um, But I think at the end of the day, this is generally a bad look for the Colorado GOP. They waited a really long time to step in. um, And I think it could potentially hurt uh, their chances in this election.
0: Right out of the panel, Greg Moore, Editor-in-Chief at Deke Digital Media. It's great to have you here, Greg. Uh, does, is the Colorado GOP able to shake this one off? Are they able to, to say, hey, the, this isn't what we're about, or does it walk with them for a while? Well, I think that that was a very aggressive step to make sure
4: that it didn't hang around for a while. I think the GOP here uh, has a long memory. They remember Dan Mays. They remember a wounded Scott McGinnis. I mean, this is their moment and having a, a crippled Republican candidate, you know, front and center is not, a, is not good for them. It's not good for their chances. So, you know, without, you know, convicting her, you know, she is innocent until proven guilty, mm-hmm. separating themselves um, is, is really important in terms of preserving their chances um, in the next election. You know, they want Griswold out. And a wounded, you know, Peters is not likely to be able to do it at this point.
0: Yesterday, uh, as we go into our next topic, yesterday the Colorado State House and Health Insurance Committee passed a new bill on a party line 7-4 to 4 vote that would codify the right to have abortions in Colorado. The bill states that every person has the right to use or reject birth control as well as choose whether or whether to continue or end a pregnancy. The vote came after a heated public hearing that included hundreds of witnesses and went on until nearly 4 a.m., Krista, this is a very emotional issue. There were hundreds of people testifying on on both sides of this issue. It struck me, I I don't know a lot about procedure, but letting this hearing go until four o'clock in the morning, I would imagine, not being some sort of parliamentary expert, that there's a way to suspend things and bring people back the next day, maybe not, but what did you take away from how the the public testimony went down?
2: I'm just really glad that they were able to hear all the voices. the, the number of people there speaking out for preborn babies, the pro-lifers were a much larger contingent, and I'm glad that all of their voices were heard. I you know it's interesting a uh, uh, legislation like this. Only about 20 percent of Americans believe in abortion on demand, abortion all the way up to to the end of pregnancy. Um, that believe that abortion for sex selection is okay. Those are extreme views, and this is extreme legislation. In fact, far too extreme for Colorado. And I think the real shame of it is, is that all of those lawmakers have seen ultrasounds. They know it's a baby. They've seen the heartbeat. They've seen the arms and legs. They know these are babies. And yet they're sort of nameless nobodies to them, perhaps at best collateral damage. And to say that these children have absolutely no rights that's too extreme. That's too extreme for Colorado. Shame on them.
0: Elena, you've covered a lot of different government issues so I don't know if you've had a be in a hearing till 4 a.m. But do you think there's gonna be ramifications with so many people appearing at a hearing like this uh, on an issue this heated in Colorado?
3: I think that uh, Democratic state uh, lawmakers and, and leaders of the, um, of the Democratic state lawmaker, sorry, of the legislator, sorry, uh, the, the leaders of um, Democratic legislative leaders. Excuse me. It's hard to say. Don't worry My about goodness, that. <laughs> Um are confident that they have the support to push this through um, the their thinking on this is that, you know, even though Colorado doesn't restrict abortion and the procedure would remain legal if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, this bill matters because abortion is not expressly protected in state law which is what they're trying to do. Um, It's a great example of, uh, you know, the domino effect of legislation that can happen or that happens states away, right? This is a direct response to legislation passed in Texas and Florida that adds restrictions on abortion. Um, But I think, you know, the big picture is that it's likely a first step toward asking Colorado voters um, to approve a constitutional protection on the 2024 ballot. So it's worth watching closely.
0: Greg, as you're looking at uh, the, the effects of uh, so many people showing for an issue like this, uh, I can't help but think that it's not only something about a bill in the current legislature, but this energy is going to bleed over into the 2022 election. Uh, what do you think the effects will be from what we saw this week? Well, I, I think it's still a very
4: polarizing issue. I, th- I actually think what they're trying to say more than anything else is we ain't Texas, we ain't Mississippi. Right. Mm-hmm. And and sort of drawing a, a line between, you know, uh, people that want to take away that right, because the Supreme Court um, and probably the only thing that can really save the Democrats in 2022 is Roe v. Wade, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if the Supreme Court stumbles into that and restricts a woman's right to choose, the Democrats here in Colorado are trying to say, hey, we were on your side. Remember that. OK, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to have an effect depending on what happens. Um, you know, I'm not. Fully familiar with all the intricacies of the bill, but I do agree with you that nobody would believe. I don't think anybody, even people that believe in a right to choose, that you know that right extends all the way uh, until the, the the ninth month. Nobody believes that. Mm. I, I, I can't imagine anybody really believes that. But I do think there's some political um, there's some political uh, positives in this for Colorado Democrats, and I, I think they're looking at what the Supreme Court can do that's going to help the Democrats overall in 20, 2022.
0: Penny, where do you see this going? This is certainly not going to anytime soon.
1: Well, we've had other contentious issues. I think vaccinations, not COVID vaccinations, was another one that had as much testimony going late until the night. And there was no surprise that this was going to go on for so long. I know Colorado Christian University was having people go. They were, they were prepared for a very, very long haul. And Krista's right. Everyone should be able to have their say on this issue. But let's remember it was 55 years ago that Colorado became the first state in the union to allow any kind of protection of abortion. The first state 55 years ago. And when you think of how women were treated then and what's changed since then, you realize that this is an important statement that's being made. If indeed there are parts of this bill, and I'm no lawyer, in fact, I don't think we have a lawyer at the table.
0: Yeah, this is what wonderful. a refreshing
1: break. <laughs> okay. If we had one, they might find a loophole that we're not seeing. But it seems to me this is exactly a reaction to what's happening in other states. It's drawing a line that says, we are going to protect the people of Colorado. We're going to follow what we did 55 years ago and protect women.
0: I imagine that somewhere there's David and Penn are preparing their slander suits for us, saying that it was a good uh, <laughs> idea. Right. Uh, yeah. right, bring it on. <laughs> Patty's used to it. Uh, we, we have been there before. Right. Let's get to our next topic. The Denver District Attorney's Office announced this week that it will drop the second-degree murder charges filed against Matthew Doloff because it cannot overcome his claim of self-defense. Meanwhile, the class-action lawsuit filed over how the Denver police handled the George Floyd protests and riots continued this week, including testimony from a former Seattle chief of police chief Police chief of police that claimed the actions showed a failure of leadership. Alanda, uh, you've been reporting right there on this lawsuit. So tell us what we need to know about what's going on.
3: Right. So, central to both of these cases is the issue of self-defense. Um, when it comes to the lawsuit being heard in federal court, uh, Denver city attorneys are defending police, um, d- defending police's response to protests by citing unprecedented violence on behalf of protesters uh, that required the use of tear gas and other weapons by police to keep themselves safe. Um, city attorneys are also arguing that uh, officers couldn't arrest agitators in the crowd because the situation on the ground was too volatile. So, that meant that peaceful protesters were essentially collateral damage in police's efforts to clear the crowds. Um, On the other hand, we have protesters along with uh, Norman Stamper, the former Seattle police chief, who um, is testing, testifying for plaintiffs, um, they're describing the training of officers as uh, woefully inadequate and their actions as indiscriminate. So unlike the Doloff case, this is really gonna come down to jurors uh, who have to decide what actions justified the use of weapons against uh, protesters. And there's still plenty of twists and turns to happen with you know, two weeks at least until their decision is made. Uh, so we'll see.
0: Greg, it feels there's a lot of gray area here. I think people would like to think, be able to say that it's this or that, but yeah. um, I don't think this provides an opportunity, but do you think we'll see some policy changes come out of lawsuits and things like this? Uh, I hope so. Um,
4: you know, r- relative to the protest, I actually went down to the protest and I got to meet a lot of people. And I was shocked to see the number of people with black and, uh, uh, black and blue bruises on their bodies from being hit with tear gas. Can- canisters and rubber bullets and stuff like that and I mean it was terrible like it felt to me Like it was an overreaction. I'd gone down there twice with my daughter um, Seemed unnecessary. So so um, You know, I'm, I'm anxious to see what the outcome of this case is because I think there needs to be some restraint on you know, police overreaction much as I feel there should be some some reexamination of self-defense I mean the idea that a protester slaps a so-called trained uh, security guard and his response is to use deadly force and that self-defense seems to me to do to scare to death and when you look at a situation like in Florida where a guy gets into an argument because someone is using a cell phone in the movie theater gets into an argument the guy throws popcorn on him and his response is to pull a gun because he's scared uh, that's just not that's not enough and much like We've seen some changes in how police are being held accountable for uh, excessive use of force. I think a reexamination of uh, self-defense and make my day and all that other stuff that's putting us in the category of the Wild West needs to be reexamined because that is a disproportionate response. Uh, In the Dolloff case, in the uh, Florida case, and in so many others, where
0: right to um, uh, self-defense is being invoked. Patty, the dropping of charges seemed to catch a lot of people uh, by surprise, and at least a part of me—that part of this—that surprised me was the full admission from the DA's office saying, "Hey, we we don't have enough to just um, fight off the self-defense claim." Do you think, uh, like Greg, that there's going to be a more examination of exactly what that means?
1: Well, it's interesting that the charges against him were dropped when we're now looking at. Police officers who might wind up getting charged. There's still punishment coming down for some of the police officers that were involved There are other things involved with doloft. Of course, he wasn't really licensed He didn't have the proper licensing so that's bad on his employers His direct employer and the Pinkerton agency have lost the right to do anything in Denver for the next five years But why we have a security guard an alleged security guard I guess an unlicensed security guard out there and able to use a weapon is just crazy. That why... Greg's right. That's not self-defense. That's just scared, inappropriate behavior for allegedly a professional. We're also going to hear a lot of really interesting testimony in the federal case. Brooke Jackson, the judge on it, is the one who had already given uh, injunctions before that They were not supposed to be using certain kinds of ammunition against the protesters. And you learn during those hearings that Denver did not have a grip on all the different agencies that were coming out to help. They didn't know what their rules were. They didn't know what ammo and weapons they had. So in the early days of response, Denver did not do a great job of communicating with the people who are out there with the protesters. We'll see that. We'll see Nick Mitchell, the former independent monitor, who did a big report right before he left. And there's supposed to be some scathing information in there about the Denver Police Department.
0: Chris, there's a lot to break down here, but we're also it's not on the cusp. It's not going to happen until next spring. Next spring is the next um, municipal elections for Denver. Does this become another one of those issues that a lot of different council races and a mayor's race might hinge on?
2: You know, I, I think it's easy to say, well, they, they they overreacted, but if you look after the fact at all the damage to the buildings, um, all of those broken windows, all of that graffiti, I think you could almost argue they didn't do enough to restrain rioters. And who is this guy from Seattle? That's the, the city that had the no-cop zone. Remember that, where people were, were living and in, I guess, squalor, and somebody got killed? I, who is he to talk to us about that, about security, when he couldn't even control his whole city? So yeah, it could weigh into the election. I think people need to remember that uh, the police may have made some mistakes, but they were the good guys. And they were the, the defense, the only defense that that city had. Could they have done better? Sure, we could all do better. Uh, but in the end, the rioters did a lot of damage and they're the ones, honestly, that I think um, bear the vast majority of responsibility.
0: The Dallas County District Court has stepped in on the Dallas County Public School Superintendent debacle ordering that the school board adhere to the open meetings law. According to Judge Jeffrey Holmes, evidence showed that four of the school board members had indeed made the decision to fire former Superintendent Corey Wise outside of public meetings by meeting one-on-one. Greg, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, it, they really, uh, like Tina Peters, had been the gift that keeps them giving to this right. uh, panel, right. um, but as an editor, you are familiar with open meetings laws, open records laws, everything sure. that goes on with this. Yeah. What do you think about the decision that we've heard so far on this case? Well, when I
4: was a young reporter,
0: you know, they used to try to go into executive
4: session to make decisions like that. They don't even pretend anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, like that's how far you know we're away from sort of you know public access to decision making. I mean, this is terrible, right? But in the end, it, what does it really mean if it doesn't affect the decision that was made? So, so, so one way you are you, able to sort of correct that kind of behavior, which I think is increasing, you know, as media scrutiny, you know, um, you know, becomes less and less because of resources and layoffs and things of that nature. I think the way you hold them accountable is you find them. for for breaking open meetings uh, uh, laws, and you reverse their decisions, okay? Like, there has to be consequences for doing this, not just to rebuke. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've read a lot about this. I love the idea of the walking quorum. I mean, like, all these euphemisms for this illegal activity. But I think there has to be teeth in the consequences. And, you know, if counties and cities have to pay huge fines for breaking the open meetings law and have their decisions reversed, I think they'll think twice about doing that.
0: Patty, what do you think? You and your reporters have to cover these things all the time. Uh, a, a walk and talk like you're with Aaron Sorkin in the West Wing or something. Like that is a lot harder to follow <laughs> right, right. than a public meeting. Um, how Do you think this is going to make some changes?
1: It should make some changes. You know, it's interesting, this group of the conservative bloc that was elected in November, they campaigned that they would calm down the board meetings, that they wouldn't be the circuses anymore, that they had been pretty much during the masking controversies. And could anything be a bigger circus? I will say this. They must be good telephone players, that game, because who knows what the... You know, if I were playing that game of telephone, you're you're telling one member this, that member repeats it, you could have wind up firing almost anybody. I presume they really wanted to fire the superintendent, and they did an effective, if completely illegal job of it.
0: Krista, is there a way that Douglas County can get out of the news cycle for more than a week?
1: If they follow the rules, Um,
2: seriously. (laughs) So, you know, a board has a right to work with a a superintendent that they agree with, right? They have a right to to fire and hire, but do that in the committee. Uh, Don't do it by phone on your own. Mind the rules. And I think if they they mind the rules, they've got uh, some good ideas. They've got some good candidates in front of them for superintendent, if they mind the rules from now on, things will get calmer. Will they ever be completely calm? No, not as long as there's teachers unions.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's true. I I can definitely understand that, that the battle will continue. Elena, as a reporter, you've had to do this in multiple jurisdictions. Uh, Do you think this will at least be a wake-up call for other organizations, other school boards, other city councils that uh, we can't mess with this, we can't have a walking quorum and have poor Elena trying to follow (laughs) follow you around downtown Castle Rock of what the quorum's going to be?
3: I don't even know if I could follow what's going on with Douglas <laughs> County if I wanted to, um, but I really do hope it's uh, other, you know, municipalities and public bodies are are watching because it's a problem. Anytime public officials are working in the dark, it's not honest, um, and that's not what we elected them to do. Uh, so I hope that this stops and this judge, you know, actually has some real um, impact here with the board
0: and maybe some teeth into a legal decision. We'll see what exactly. happens. Well, speaking of teeth, it's time for a very, very part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, we start with Ms. Calhoun.
1: Well, of course, Douglas County we just dealt with, so we can leave them out of this. (laughs) And instead, we'll go to another county, Denver County, where we're in the middle of a brawl in City Hall right now between four city councilwomen who are after another city councilwoman because of the whole who essentially called them traitors. We posted an op-ed about it today. It's a really interesting issue. And if you want more hints, there's an art museum exhibit devoted to La Malenche, who was a really controversial but fascinating figure.
0: You almost feel the Denver City Council was kind of jealous of all the attention going on elsewhere, so it's time to get ourselves back in the news. I, I, I are they're doing a good job of it. <laughs> yes, they are. Krista.
2: So I'm a little late. I'm going to go ahead and go with shame of the month, maybe shame of the term. Um, I'm going to just say, Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman, for shouting during the State of the Union, I, I've been to a State of the Union back when I was a Hill staffer, back when Clinton was in office, and you can choose whether or not you want to rise and stand, whether you want to clap at all. Those are all of your choices, but don't be screaming out. Have some respect for the institution, and
0: you show the respect you show the respect to other people that you want shown to you or people you enjoy. It makes Amen. sense, Elena.
3: I'm giving this one to the weather. Snow in March is one thing, but negative wind chills is another, and I won't stand for it.
0: (laughs) I I am with you, and I I want to find out where we file our complaint, because I I am with you on that. The seven degrees below zero is out of the question. Greg.
4: I'm going with Jesse Smollett, the former Empire star who just got sentenced to 150 days for perpetrating that racial hoax in Chicago. And he had the nerve to scream and holler at the court and the judge on his way to jail in handcuffs.
0: Good for him. No food tonight. Time to say something nice about somebody The harvests part of the show. Patty.
1: It's an easy week for something nice. I'm going to talk about a couple Denver institutions. We've seen some of them disappear over COVID. We've seen some survive and kind of move to the next level. The Mercury Cafe, which was sold and is continuing to operate much the same way. The Skylark, which was sold and is continuing. Uh, Turn Bicycles, which just closed. Unfortunately, that wasn't as smooth a transition. Alan Fine had to sell it after a long time in the business. His two of his longtime employees are supposed to run it. Good luck, we hope for the best. But the best story comes from Twist and Shout, which is a fabulous store on mm-hmm. Colfax, third location. Paul, Ep- Paul and Jill Epstein decided it was tire- time to retire, sold it to a longtime manager. It will continue and it is truly a Denver institution we would have missed.
0: Hear, hear, here, and, an insti- and a shop that found a way with all the technological changes, they're still there and in great hands it's moving forward. Mm. Krista, we go to you.
2: I'm gonna go with Johns Hopkins University. Research- researchers there have now said that uh, when they've looked at lockdowns and all these different things that governments have done over the course of this pandemic, that they had little or no effect on mortality rates. I'm glad they had to say it. Um, SNL just came out with a skit kind of mocking some of those. So I think it's, I think people are starting to doubt it. And some of us have been saying this all along. So I commend them for saying what I've been saying for two years that government did some unnecessary harm this time around.
3: Elena. I'm going to stick with the seasonal theme and <laughs> give a shout out to uh, Daylight Saving Time which kicks in on Sunday. I'm so ready for spring.
4: You're <laughs> <laughs> here, here. Greg. I'm going to go with George Payton, the GM of the Broncos, giving hope to uh, Bronco Maniacs. Um, bringing Russell Wilson here gives us hope and it's probably the third biggest acquisition in Broncos history after Elway and Peyton Manning. So
0: here. Well, there were several people saying it, was, it, it marked as a trade in NFL history, let alone yeah. Broncos history, so yeah. uh, it should bring some excitement. I, at a, yeah. There was a great uh, a, a Twitter meme of that where it was like, uh, we, we really love following the, the, the Broncos and the, and the Nuggets and the Avalanche, and the Rock is not you. But it was, it was those <laughs> right. three. So, hey, three out of four is isn't right. yeah, bad. We, you know, we, we've got to pick our battles. Uh, and I want to say something nice about all the different folks who have joined us in our March uh, pledge drive. As you know, we, we have our C- times when we ask you for your support. Your support makes shows like Colorado Inside Out now in its 30th season happen. So thank you to all of you who have already participated becoming a new member. If you haven't already, if there's something special you enjoy, please be sure to make your voice heard. It's very easy. PBS12.org, a couple clicks on Donate Now and suddenly you are a part of the action making all these kinds of great shows happen. And remember, when you do, I'll be uh, remiss to say this, not only will you be able to enjoy great shows like Colorado Inside Out, but PBS12 Passport gives you have access to all of those british dramas and anything else that you love on pbs at your fingertips all the past seasons uh you can binge to your heart's content as our way of saying thank you for your membership and making all this happen and i will uh join Elaine and thank you uh, and being excited about spring uh warmer temperatures daylight saving it'll it, it'll be a, a tough week for everybody losing that one hour but we'll get through it together everybody don't worry That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.